Welcome to the Banking with Life Q&A. This is where I answer your questions concerning the infinite banking concept and becoming your own banker. In this question, James, what is a PUA? A PUA is a paid up additions. It is a rider to a policy. So in the infinite banking world, you have a whole life policy called a base policy most often. And then you have riders on top of that, right? Added riders, whatever you and your practitioner have decided is best for you and your family. It could be term riders. It, there could be other riders, other insured riders, disability riders. There's tons of other riders that can potentially be added to a whole life policy. The paid up additions is a rider. And when you pay a premium to the paid up additions, the majority of the premium goes to cash value immediately. It purchases some amount of paid up death benefit. So there's no future premiums due on that additional death benefit. It's paid up and it's an additional, uh, in addition to your cash values on your base policy. And it is a rider. So you should probably, young man, read Nelson's Becoming Your Own Banker. There's links in this Q&A how to purchase that and where to purchase that. And then while you're buying, while you're spending money, you should purchase his second book, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. Right? And then until you've read those two books, you know, you, uh, you, you don't know what you need to know, what you should know about the infinite banking concept. So your comment on the fee-only guy being once an infinite banking practitioner, but not anymore, does this mean the NNI can revoke the IBC title? Well, John, um, I mentioned the fee-only guy, a former practitioner had uh, referenced the fee-only guy. I think young Mr. Griggs and I did an episode on this as well. And the whole gist was the fee-only guy was not really a fee-only guy. He's presented himself as a fee-only guy, but there were revenue-sharing arrangements in place. You could tell just by going through the the articles and the emails. Um, I believe the IBC is a trademark owned by the Nelson Nash Institute, and the Nelson Nash Institute can revoke somebody's uh, membership in the Nelson Nash Institute. So they can be fired and asked to leave from the infinite, from the Nelson Nash Institute. And so they could no longer refer to themselves as a NNI practitioner. So I hope that answers your question. IBC is a trademark. It's owned. It's not really a title. I don't think, you know, there's becoming your own banker, the title of a book. IBC is a concept, but it's trademarked. And then the NNI absolutely can revoke uh, membership as a practitioner and I think and I encourage them to be uh, astute and protect their assets um, so I hope that answers your question and this question what effect will the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 have on new IBC policies new as in not in existence yet well you can just about bet that the uh, so the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 was implemented 
in the twilight hours of 2020. And what it did was it changed it, the um, interest rates that can be used to calculate a MEC and a net single premium of a life insurance policy. So the MEC guidelines haven't been addressed for over 30 something years since 1988. So the insurance companies have been asking for this. And the bottom line is it reduces the interest rate that can be used to calculate a MEC and a net single premium. So it's not going to affect already issued policies, but new policies going forward once the companies adopt it and they have a timeline in which to adopt it. Um, you know, it's yet to be seen, but I believe that the new policies are going to require less death benefit to avoid becoming a MEC. And then there's debate in, on the street of what it's going to do to the cash values and what nobody's really talking about. And I hope to have uh, somebody from the life insurance companies on as a guest. Um, that rate also affects the loan rate. So there's some more moving parts that meets the eye. Thanks for asking. And this question, what dictates my insurability? Well, everybody has a limit on insurability. We can all only own so much death benefit from all sources. And so what dictates that is my age and income um, or my net worth. So if I'm 50 and I have $100,000 in income, at 50, I can maybe have 20 times my income in total death benefit. So if I earn 100000 I can have $2 million in death benefit. So that's just rough, um, but it's fairly accurate. So it's uh, based on age and income. The older I get, the smaller the factor is. So if I'm 65, I can have 10 times my income. If I'm 20, I can have 30 times my income. And then there's some additional caveats to that. Or I can have one times my net worth. Maybe I don't have an income, but I'm worth $5 million. Then I can have $5 million in death benefit. All right, in this question, I'm talking to my dad about IBC policies for his future grandchildren. It's a lovely conversation. What do those policies look like? And what sort of annual cost can I estimate for these? That's a good question. And just as we're all limited in death benefit, primarily based on our age and income. When it comes to grandchildren who have no income and they have no assets because the minor can't own anything, then a child can typically have half of what is enforced on the least amount of a parent. Right? And then as a grandparent purchasing that, the life insurance companies are going to want to see coverage enforced on the children first. So there is a limit, right? And what would the cost look like? Look, the infinite banking type policies, that concept, these policies are built for um, typically to have as much premium as possible. You're going to be limited on what you can put in force on a child and or a grandchild. And so you just figure out what that limit is. And then that's how you structure the policies. And, and it must be, you know, um, appropriate and suitable. Um, beyond that, what does it look like? And it depends on how much premium we're trying to pay and how much everybody in the family has, i.e. parents and grandparents. So I know we make it look easy. Sometimes it's a little bit more complicated. This is another great question. How do you think we should prioritize our policies? Should we set up policies for the children or convert some of our term policies on myself and my husband first? I think there's a natural expansion. Um, 
a family, a husband and wife, should be properly insured, and then they ex- should expand to their children. And then the continuation of that, they should come back and purchase more on themselves and or business partners if that's available. Every case is different. There's a general way to expand that's appropriate. Um, but then we're all individuals and all of our cases are unique. So work with somebody that's competent and that's not practicing on you. Kind of a statement and a question, okay? Thank you for all that you have done and continue to do for the uneducated about IBC. Uh, Thank you for saying that. I thoroughly enjoy listening each week and I find myself re-listening to whole or parts of previous episodes and finding awareness continuously improving. Eh, I appreciate that. Okay. I have a policy through a Canadian practitioner and when asked about IBC by someone who is curious but non-committal, what is your favorite IBC asset to start with? Thanks, Agent 001, and kind regards to Great Dane and Lucy's dad. Um, I appreciate that. And my encouragement is for people to read Nelson's books. Number one, Becoming Your Own Banker. And then number two, Building Your Warehouse of Wealth. If someone reads those books and they're not interested in learning more or implementing it you know perfect if they are you know then we can have a conversation but i don't do anything but promote the idea that you can become your own banker and i do it with nelson's books and his six and a half hour dvd series that is available at nni and uh, through our website as well Do you gentlemen own any gold? And by the way, your videos are the best videos anyone can stumble upon YouTube. Thanks for sharing your knowledge. Seriously. Well, thank you, Mr. Daly. I happen to own gold. I like gold. I like precious metals and real property. And uh, Mr. Griggs, we'll let him answer that um, for himself. Can you do a podcast on the new tax changes regarding the guaranteed growth and cash value? Kind of referencing earlier and the earlier question of, you know, the bottom line is that interest rate has changed that the life insurance companies can use to calculate a MEC or the net single premium of a life insurance policy. Um, maybe I can have somebody on in the underwriting world or the actuary world that, that can speak more to that. At the end of the day, I believe, and time will tell, right, these policies, I think they have to be in existence by the end of this year, I believe, 2021, and I should get clarity on that date before I say it. But there is a time in which the companies must comply, um, and I think that it's going to require less death benefit to avoid a mech. And then in the industry, people are concerned about the cash values being less than what they are now. And there's also concern, and I'm pretty sure that the universal life policies are just going to receive more challenges, okay? In this statement, maybe it wraps up in a question. James, I have been listening to you and Ryan for about a year and have really enjoyed your podcast. Thank you. I started selling IBC top policies in late 2019 and have had some success. I like to be very confident in what I am selling and knowing that I'm giving the client the best choice 
for what to do with their savings, retirement planning, and cash flow leveraging. That said, I recently came across an individual, uh, an attorney in California, who is really against IBC. They say it's not the right way to go. Maybe you could listen to the video in the link below and cover your critique in the upcoming podcast. He contextualizes his criticism in a retirement plan scenario, and I'm wondering how to refute his critique. Thanks for anything you could do to help me continue to feel confident that IBC is a valid and useful concept to use with people from all walks of life. He claims IBC community does not compare itself to other options, which I do not believe is true. Thanks again, and God bless you. Listen, I mean, I don't know why people do what they do. The man has a law degree, so he can obviously read, and he's promoting whatever he promotes, universal life, and he's building an agency. Does that affect him, you know, his his opinions? And, um, you know, probably, I don't know. I think the best thing that you could do for yourself is, I don't know, how about you go buy life insurance policies on your life, you put it into practice in your life, you test it out on you, okay? If you're an agent, advisor, um, if you're asking your clients to pay a premium, by golly, you should be paying a premium and it should be substantial. So, and then you got to avoid the noise. You got to be aware that it's out there. That is noise in my opinion and they can say whatever they want to say. And it's not my, I do not feel compelled to justify the infinite banking concept to every critic that has a degree. You know, I'm just not interested. There's, although that's worthy, I'm not saying that it shouldn't be done and, and that debate in a free society is very valuable. That's not me. I am as busy as I can be helping people that have heard the truth and, and want to implement this into their life. So my plate's full. I'm not interested in um, you know, debating and critiquing everybody more than what I already have. <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. If you have a question that you would like an answer to, email us at james at bankingwithlife.com. Have a great day.